Live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, it's time for Spirituality for Everyday Living with Melinda Vale. As the medium who makes a difference, Melinda and her guests discuss practical spirituality and how it makes an impact on our everyday lives. And now, here's your hostess, Melinda Vale. I am so excited about this show because it's near and dear to my heart. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I am recovering from breast cancer. And my guest today is not only someone who has worked with cancer in the cancer field for 20-plus years, but she's also very special to me. She once was a friend, but now she's a daughter-in-law, and I want to welcome my dear, dear friend, Allison. How are you? It's Allison Beavers, by the way. I'm lovely. Thank you for the introduction, Mom. <laughs> yeah, and you can hear that little bit of Scottish in her accent. I got to tell you something. Ellison uh, was upset about the Queen passing away. She shed a few tears. I was talking to a woman in England, and I said, are you upset over the, the Queen passing away? My daughter-in-law's from Scotland, and she shed a few tears, and the, and the woman from England said to me, oh, those Scots. <laughs> Damn English woman. <laughs> Seriously. So we're going to talk about a serious subject today because you are actually my advocate um, uh, that helped me through breast cancer. And the first thing that I want to talk about is why is breast cancer important to spirituality and why are we discussing that today? And I think any health crisis kind of brings somebody to a point where they have to reevaluate themselves. Have you seen that with all your cancer patients, like they're trying to figure out the whys and the wherefores so they have to move into a self-evaluation? So yes, I mean, initially, I find most people who who get that initial diagnosis, they're in a state of anxiety, Mm -hmm. a state of shock, and they're kind of that deer in the headlights moment of, well, what do I do? Who Mm -hmm. do I see? How long have I got to live? Mm -hmm. Will I die? Mm -hmm. How soon will it happen? Mm Mm -hmm. Because all too often we hear about people who've had breast cancer and they recover from breast cancer. They don't have any cancer for five or so years. Then all of a sudden it manifests in the pancreas or the lung and, you know, brain. And we hear that a lot. So when we first get that diagnosis, it's real scary. It's real scary. It is, absolutely. It's life altering. Mm -hmm. I have clients, of course, that have been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I have a couple that have gone on to write a book about their journey because they consider it a spiritual journey. I considered it a journey, not necessarily a spiritual journey, but rather one in which I had to reevaluate who I was as a spiritual person. But I think with some, since, you know, we are um, body, mind, and spirit orientated, and we have one thing out of whack, we have to make sure that we put that all into balance. But I think a lot of people stay victims to those kinds of health issues rather than victors. And what do you say, what do you do with the victims as you advocate for them, Allison? So it really depends on where they're at in their journey. Mm-hmm. Because if it's the beginning of the journey, it's how do we change the mindset and how do we, it really initially it's listening. You have to listen to what that person wants. Mm -hmm. It's very different for a young person who's diagnosed with breast cancer, who's in their early 30s, for instance, versus somebody in their 80s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're young, it's like, 
there's so many things you have to think about because have they had children? What's their, how is it going to affect their sexuality? And all of, you know, all of that, because when you're talking about the, the body being altered with potential surgery or a mastectomy, you know, it's, it's, are, are they in a, in a relationship? How, do, how does that affect them with who they're with and their confidence in their body mm-hmm. versus somebody who's in their 80s and they already know that they're in the twilight of their life mm-hmm. and maybe they have 10 years left or maybe they don't, you know, because it may not be, you know, at that age, it may not be breast cancer that kills them. It could be a heart attack mm-hmm. or a stroke. So it's very different how you look at it mm-hmm. and you have to identify with the person as to where they're at in their life mm-hmm. and their journey before you do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so one size does not fit all is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And I think that's the way that people have to progress through anything that challenges them in life and alters their life is what's right from within them, which is where the spirit comes in. What is your spirit telling you? Now, the average age, by the way, for breast cancer is 62 years old. Did you know that? I did. And so I'm over that age a little bit. And I do want to tell our listeners that the way that I found out was through a regular mammogram. And I have no breast cancer in my family background. So it wasn't that I was checking because my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, there was no cancer at all in my family background. But yet there it was. So I can't encourage mammography enough. Like it's so important to get your mammograms. And one thing, the oncologist that you set me up with, by the way, because Allison really walked me through this as my advocate made sure that I had the right doctor. She worked at MD Anderson and has worked there for seven years, although she's been in the healthcare industry for 20 and embarking on something new that I want her to share as we move on. But my oncologist said to my uh, daughter, um, you don't have a history of breast cancer until you have a history of breast cancer. And she's 41. I get your mammogram. So... The one-size-fits-all is not the way to look at this. It has to be an individual process. It is. And also, if you know, to take the other angle, if breast cancer is in your family, think about genetic testing, too. Mm-hmm. And how do you get genetic testing? You can go to your um, OBGYN, and they can set you up with genetic testing. Or you can go to, you can set up an appointment with Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center because they have genetic counselors there. But again, you, it's it all goes on your family history or your pedigree as to what types of cancer run in your family. So, mm-hmm. why were you drawn to get into the business of cancer? Well. I have a dear friend who is another chosen mom, Mm -hmm. and um, she was 80 at the time. And um, I went to some of her appointments with her as her advocate, and that was at Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center in Gilbert. And there was a doctor there, and he took her her by the hand in one appointment and said to her, so what would you like to do once this journey is behind you? And she said, I want to dance. Mm. And he said, we're going to get you there. You're going to dance again. And she did. And she's doing wonderfully well today. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had been at a previous job for over 12 years. And I was like, you know what? I have to be part of this organization. They truly teach. They truly 
look after people like they're a person, not just a number. And that just touched my heart. And I'm like, I'm going there. I can certainly attest to that with the doctors that you actually chose for me. (laughs) We kept our sense of humor, which is one of the major points of spirituality is to keep humor, to keep things funny. I dyed my hair pink for my surgery. I had a partial mastectomy and a breast reduction. So what did I want to get out of it? Well, 18-year-old boobs. But um, I... um, And I have to tell you, I am jealous of those 18-year-old's perky boobs because I would like some myself. And my husband had uh, pink hair, and we actually, you know, got involved in it with our humor and laughter, which I understand is difficult for a lot of people. Um, I caught it early, so I didn't have such grave concerns about it being something that would cause me to pass away. But I must tell you, as part of a spiritual person, I am ready to pass away any day. And I think that that is the point of how these kinds of uh, issues affect people. You have to say to yourself, because being a medium— I've talked to people who have died from choking on meat. I have talked to people who have died, you know, by such odd situations that I just know that when it's your time, it's your time. So you have to practice this spiritual way of being so that every day you're ready no matter what happens, whatever your journey. And sometimes your journey is about other people and other people getting some value out of what you're going through. And I'll tell you what, I I can't even imagine going through this without you or someone like you. And I think other people should find an advocate to help them through this and to understand um, who they are going through it. But you should all be ready to 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 die, like be ready to die. <laughs> like I know when I get to heaven, God's going to say to me, okay, you know, you did the right thing even when it wasn't the easy thing. And that's all I need, right? So, Right. So when you're saying everybody needs an advocate, whether it be a family member, friend, or even at the healthcare facility you choose, they often have nurse navigators who can help you with that journey. But I would say definitely bring an advocate with you. Mm-hmm. Because as part of the journey, that deer in the headlights moment that I shared with you earlier, that happens more often than you can imagine. And you need somebody with you to be able to talk to you before you even go to the appointment and get a list of questions that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And those questions are are really important to help you decide what moves you need to make on your journey. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, um, when you're looking at questions, it's what kind of, how long, what stage am I? Mm-hmm. Has the cancer spread? You know, it's so many things. And it's like, what type of treatment's available to me? And how will that treatment affect me? And there's so many different things. So make a list of questions that are really important to you. Because I can tell you that so many people walk into the doctor's office and they freeze. Mm -hmm. And they don't even think of the questions they want to ask. Mm -hmm. And they go home and then they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't ask this. I didn't ask that. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, they struggle with being able to communicate back to the doctor to get those questions answered and help them make the decision on their treatment. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the questions that I always like to, and when it was, I asked it for you when you were having to make a decision on yours is, one question I asked the doctor, and I remember it very specifically, if this was your mom sitting in front of you, what would you do? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Such a good question. And for any treatment with a doctor, mm-hmm. if I was your sister, your daughter, your mother, mm-hmm. your friend, what would you suggest? The first suggestion by my doctor was the possibility of a mastectomy, um, which I chose not to. I was at a stage zero. But I did not realize that it's not just the stages that you go through with breast cancer. It's the grade of cell. So interesting, I had a grade three cell that was running around in there. And even though I uh, thought that I could get away without having radiation, by the time I got finished with the lovely radiologist oncologist who spent a good 45 minutes to an hour and maybe even more with my husband and I, he convinced me why radiation was so important because of the uh, grade three cell. What was interesting is that while I was laying there and these lovely ladies would put their hands on my back and adjust my body to get radiation, I picked up on them intuitively. Oh, yes, you did. (laughs) And and asked, do you have a daughter? Yes. May I say something about your daughter? Sure. And by the end of that, we became what I feel is like bosom buddies. Uh, No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Only you could go with that one. (laughs) And it just created relationships. And, you know, I have to tell you, one of the gals knew your name Mm -hmm. and was desperate to be the person who helped with your treatment. Ah, how nice. How nice. I actually had a lovely operating nurse that bent down and whispered in my ear, and she said, I know who you are. You've helped lots of my friends. I'm going to make sure you're okay in there. Mm -hmm. So... I was kind of a privileged character with that, so. Uh, but I, I know that MD Anderson treats everybody the same, like it doesn't matter. They, they were just all, all over taking care of people mm-hmm. so kindly with such great sincerity, with a real dedication to what they were doing, with true spirituality of working in a, a passionate way with something that was meaningful to them. We weren't just a number. You could feel the difference. And the other thing was when you were having your treatment, it was during COVID, so Bill couldn't come in to all the appointments. Right. So it's a tough time. It was a tough time. He couldn't even come in and wait while I was in the surgery, which um, was uh, uh, interesting also because I, I had so many people that were sending Reiki and energy treatments and prayers. Prayers are real energy positive thoughts, whatever that they were sending, it culminated in me coming wide awake out of anesthesia and the nurse saying to me, this is impossible that you're awake and me saying, could I have my clothes, please? (laughs) I think it was 30 minutes of that. Yeah. It was just this wonderful energy. And so again, you know, spirituality, working with the soul, understanding vibrational frequency, working with um, connecting to each other, all of these things are spiritual and don't have to happen when we're in a crisis and can happen in everyday life. But unfortunately, when we are in a crisis, we get to see those things in action. And that's why many people who go through something like breast cancer become spiritually awakened or start to recognize and realize the value and what's important in life. Well, I can tell you with your journey, my, my prayers became a lot more often mm-hmm. and Spiritually, you led me back to church. Yes. 
And I'm always so happy to have you and my son there with us when we're in church. It's it's special because the four of us go up to communion together and we make a semicircle and take communion together. And I think that spirituality is great and so is religion. But when you combine them, you've got a wonderful way of moving your energy field forward so that you're honoring yourself and God at the same time. Right. And when you had, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but when you had your second scare, Mm -hmm. spiritually, remember I told you it's nothing until it's something. That's right. I remember. And you know, my second scare scared me more than my first scare. And that was very interesting because I went for the regular mammogram after radiation, after everything, with my beautiful new knockers healing and feeling pretty <laughs> good about myself at, at my age with, you know, smaller bras and all that exciting kind of stuff, ego crap, you know, when all of a sudden the universe had slapped me upside the head and said, get out of your ego, girl. Remember, this was something that you were supposed to learn. So I had to go back and relearn it with a scare. And uh, they found another lump. Oh my God, on the other side, they found another lump. And I was really scared by that. You were, but I also remember you saying to me, Allison, I'm not going to have any more surgery. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have any more treatment. If this is my time, this is my time. And I kept saying to you, I don't feel that. Mm -hmm. I don't feel it. Well, both my girls, you as my daughter-in-law and my daughter, Amanda, and my friends, which, you know, include the fabulous Duffy McMahon, who is coming on next week to talk about her own health journey and using forgiveness uh, with trying to find a way to balance that. But all of the people that I love the most were so sure that I was okay, that I had to believe you all. And that goes back to how people like myself cannot read for themselves. And it's because your ego's involved and you can't necessarily get a good handle on what's happening with you if your ego's involved and that part of your brain that causes fear mm-hmm. kind of starts uh, tapping down the vibrational frequency through your, your body and you're in a state of fear. You cannot really read for yourself. Now, that's the time, though, to meditate and to pray and to listen to those people that love you because that you bring that energy into you and it helps soothe you and put you back into balance, meditation being absolutely the key. So, so was that your key for coping? My key for coping was uh, a couple of things. Um, my husband. Um, he, oh, we all love pups. Yep. He passed the cancer test. He, he, he drained the drains and did all that, the gross stuff. Listen to me, bitch. <laughs> Watched me come off hormones was not a pleasant experience. Oh, I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't Bill. <laughs> Meditation, of course. Mm-hmm. Prayer, of course. I have always been a prayerful person. Um, and all you kids. You kids. I wanted to show you kids how to handle something with grace. Uh, I didn't always succeed, um, but I tried. And the times I didn't succeed, I came back around and succeeded afterwards. Um, So that was okay, too. Well, when you're talking to the audience here, not everybody's journey is straightforward, and there's a lot of um, lumps and bumps and hurdles on the road, so... You know your humility of saying you don't, you weren't always graceful, but um, you know that 
it's it's a journey. It is, absolutely. And you have to forgive yourself, which, you know, is part of that journey on when you're not mm-hmm. graceful. You know, n- none of us are perfect all the time. Somehow, Ellison, people think that, oh my gosh, if you're this grand and glorious guru, this psychic medium, this spiritual teacher, then you have no problems. You don't get sick and you don't have any problems and, you know, you don't deal with regular life. Not true, not true. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this today is because, you know, everybody has their own karmic journey. All of us have our own challenges in life. We all have to get through things our own way. And just because you have uh, an ability to talk to the other side or whatnot doesn't make you so special that you can't live your own karma, okay? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take away from, you know, getting mad at somebody that cuts you off on the road. You know, it it doesn't make you less sad if your child is suffering from depression. None of that happens. You still are a human being with real emotions. And it's so important to me to let people know uh, that psychic mediums, people who do spiritual work, are real. In fact, some people do spiritual work to cover up their realness and not to look at it and to understand it and to pretend with it, which is another subject altogether. <laughs> mm. So is that where your free will comes in as well? It's in, indeed your free will, but there are some pre-planning um, pre-planning possibilities that come through, like uh, what you need to learn, like your soul before you come in on the planet. You choose your mother, you choose your father. Let's say you've chosen uh, a father that was difficult or a mother that was difficult. There are reasons for that. So there are windows of opportunity that you've already created on your divine plan. Your free will comes in and how you work your divine plan. So for example, if you have chosen to come into the world in New York, that's your family of origin, but you really need to get to California, your free will is a mode of transportation that you would take Mm -hmm. to get there, whether it be a car, a bike, a motorcycle, a plane, a boat, etc. And that all has different experiential data to it. This is not my first round with cancer, P.S. I had it twice when I was in my 20s. So, and each time I've had it in a way in which it's been very curable and been very uh, caught very early, and I've, I've gotten through it just fine. But obviously, somehow in my divine plan, there's something that I am supposed to be learning spiritually through the process. And that's what I want everyone to understand, no matter what it is that you're dealing with health-wise or emotionally or family-wise or whatever, is that you chose it. So if you chose it, you have to choose to live it well. Ah. So do you think you've learned it, the lessons yet? Well, I certainly hope so, Allison. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, three times with cancer is enough. <laughs> oh, shit. I certainly hope so, Allison. Time will tell. One thing that I was supposed to learn this time was to put myself a little bit more in the forefront of my life. And that includes maybe taking some more time off from work. And I have a long waiting list of people that have want to come in to see me, and it takes a while to come to see me. Um, however, I have chosen to take a few more vacations since I've had this. I took two vacations this summer instead of one. We're planning another one in the spring, and we'll take another one in the summer. So I am learning that I need to take a little bit more time for myself. That and for you and your husband. 
Yeah, that guy's pretty good looking, isn't he? he I mean, for an kinda, old man. Like, he's kind of cute. Yeah, he's but got I, we'll, we'll keep him around. I know. Did you know that there are 3.8 million breast cancer survivors in the U.S. right now? Think about that number. Almost 4 million people have had breast cancer. It's, it's unbelievably, when I looked at these numbers, I was in shock by it, Allison. It was like, oh my gosh, about 13% of women in the U.S. will develop breast cancer at one time or another, one in eight. I, I'm, I'm shocked by that statistic. And I don't know whether that is now because we have hormones in our foods and, you know, there are certain things uh, that we eat and lifestyle choices that we make Mm -hmm. and pollution and environment. And, you know, I myself was uh, on hormones uh, from the time I was 59. I really don't blame the hormones. I'd love to go back to them if I was allowed to. But I'm just saying there are so many different ingredients that go into this pie that we call human being. And I think, you know, we have to start really recognizing what we are doing, maybe stress, the amount of stress that we have. I mean, there's so many factors that contribute to this high statistic. So that goes back to when you're hitting all those points, stress is one of the the big triggers. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you're taking time for yourself because you need, everybody needs to take time for themselves so that they can regroup and heal and, um, and rejuvenate, and rejuvenate. Right. absolutely. Right. And meditation is really a, should be a part of your daily practice, always, um, in order to. And that that has been a part of my practice for thirty years. Is I do do a daily meditation between thirty minutes and forty five minutes a day. That's great. So it's the whole mind, body, and spirit. Your body is your temple. So you want to. Um, look after yourself, eat healthily, um, exercise as well. That's all very important because um, there's so much junk food around nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you years ago, we didn't used to have any of that. So eating healthily is very important for, for, your, for your health going forward too. Absolutely. And breast means nurture. And it's smother mother is what Louise Hayes, Healing Your Life, says about breasts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was smother mothering a whole lot of people because, of course, that's what I do. Is and now I you've taken on an grief, extra son, you know? too. Well, that extra son, <laughs> that extra son picks my husband up off the floor when he falls off a ladder. So that's, that's okay. <laughs> that's true. And that extra son is my husband. <laughs> but, you know, that's what it means. And, you know, th- that book, You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay, is a very important book so that we can take a look at what the different energies that are happening from our bodies are. Well, the lungs means grief and kidney means reacting like a little kid and bladder means being pissed off and heart is giving and receiving love and knees is about moving forward and shoulders is about holding the world up, etc. So, you know, we are all spiritually connected through our physicality and uh, the practice of mindfulness. And I think Maybe that's important when you are faced with some kind of a challenge physically is to practice mindfulness. Don't go out there in the future. Don't go back there in the past. Stay in the present so you're mindful of what you need to do to take care of yourself. So live your best life every day. That's right. That's right. So let's talk a little bit here about the the four kind of spiritual uh uh, coping skills that go with a major health issue. The first being mortality. 
Meaning that if you have a major health issue, what's the first thing that you think about? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And when? Mm-hmm. And nobody gets out of this life alive. <laughs> You know, that's true. <laughs> I mean, we're all going the same. Well, I don't know. I mean, there are a few people I think might go to a different place. But no, <laughs> all of us go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things we have to do in order to not let that that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I might die, is to practice the mindfulness, to be in the moment of time, to stay in this day and not worry about the next day, to do the best you can this day, to stay in a place of grace like we talked about. And with spirituality, it reduces the stress level in your body, and stress, as you just said, makes more disease. So we have to practice that mindfulness and remember that you know, we are in control of how much cortisol we dump into our body with what we do in our mind. Okay. Absolutely. Second is coping. And that's what we've been talking about in a joking matter is how do you cope? What do you do to cope? And who are your, your coping people, your advocates, and who helps you through things? So you need to really hopefully have people who are going to be your advocates, whether it be family, caregivers, friends, and as, as somebody who's been an advocate, first of all, listen. Mm-hmm. Because it's really important to hear what that person with who's facing cancer really wants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are they a super private person and you, you don't want to pry too much? Mm-hmm. Or are they gushing to everybody? It's, it's what, listen to them to get, get a guide for that. Mm-hmm. And then... Help formulate a plan. Mm -hmm. You know what we appreciated the most? Food. There were people that sent food. So there are many different apps where you can actually coordinate food delivery with all your friends. Mm -hmm. And you can actually sign up for certain days of the week of who's going to do what and um, whether it's going to be Italian, French, or whatever, but Mm -hmm. um, whatever kind of food Mm -hmm. and comfort food. Mm -hmm. You know, a friend of mine named Kathy, and I know she listens to everything I do, so I'm going to say thank you, Kathy, made chicken soup that was out of this world. And I sat with your sister and your brother, um, McKinnon and Amanda, and three of us sat at the table and had a lunch together and just ate soup together, and that was such a treat in that recovery process because little things mean so much. So food. So coping is important, and I did find, Allison, um, some disappointment in some friends that I had to balance for myself through this. People that I have been there for on many occasions didn't text, didn't write, didn't call my husband to see how I was, and it was an interesting exercise for me in seeing yeah, where is my priority on, you know, it's part of that, oh, do I give too much? You look up codependence in the dictionary and, and my name is there. So, you know, yeah. uh, it, it was really a good lesson in that for me as well. There's that. And then you also didn't really know if they were super scared and they just didn't know what to say. True that. True that. And so if you're super scared about somebody that's ill, please reach out to them with a text or talk to their significant other or send over a a cupcake and, you know, make sure that that they know that you care. 
And uh, on three, we've got how the recovery works, okay? And recovery has everything to do with attitude. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Now, and also, you had a, an incredible husband who was cheering you on every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And you had a support system around you mm-hmm. who was cheering you on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, not everybody has that. So what do you think spiritually they can do if they don't have that that support system around them? Well, first I have to say, if you know someone that has no support system around them and they are going through that, please do not hesitate to try to reach out and help them. Any little thing, grocery shopping, uh, as we talked about food, um, uh, just hello, how are you today? Or can I drive you to the doctor? That kind of thing. But if you are alone, please don't hesitate. Don't have so much pridefulness that you get in your own way and and that you don't ask for the help that you need. And then, as you said, there are nurse advocates. There are people at a hospital, and you're going to give us some information about what to do as far as reaching out when you have cancer to find the help that you need as well, right? So I, I've actually volunteered with an amazing organization called Cancer Support Community Arizona, and it's cscaz.org is their website, and they do free emotional and social support for anyone impacted with cancer, and that's the patient, the family, or the caregiver. So their organization is amazing because it's not only they not only look after the patient, but also they have ability from children to senior citizens. Mm, that's wonderful. So it's the whole family. And they do over 100 programs a month. They have support groups, social activities. They do mind-body therapies. They teach healthy lifestyles. They have nutritional counseling, educational seminars. And it's for the whole of your cancer journey through to survivorship and beyond. And beyond, to thrive, to thrive, from survive to thrive. Tell us what you're doing with your life right now, Allison, because you're you're embarking on something new and wonderful. So I've actually joined an incredible company. It is a startup company called TrialNav. And TrialNav is the bridge or conduit between um, industry or or, um, sponsors, the clinical sites or cancer centers, and patients. And I'm actually a VP of patient and caregiver advocacy. So that is my passion. So what we want to do in my division is we want to provide resources for patients. As I said, when patients often get their diagnosis, they have that anxiety and they they don't have tools at their fingertips. Now, I'm an educated person and I have done a lot of research recently into what tools and resources are available to cancer patients. And I went on to some of the major cancer centers across the country, and I found it difficult. Mm. So if I found it difficult to find resources for patients, how does somebody who doesn't understand healthcare and what to what are the key hot buttons and hot words to look for, if I can't find it, I don't understand how they can. Mm. So I think so what our goal is and the on our patient division is to make it simpler, to provide tools for education, um, for cancer resources in one place, um, disease-specific information, um, cancer patient journey information from prevention to diagnosis to treatment to survivorship. 
you know, some of that um, information on what are the questions to ask at each different section of your treatment? Because again, some people don't even know what to ask. Mm -hmm. So providing those tools so they can get the answers to make the informed decision. Again, giving access to cancer care, helping to profile cancer centers and provide physician bios, and then access to clinical trials. So at the moment, um, a lot of cancer centers have their clinical trials on hold due to lack of staffing. Mm. So you can find um, clinical trials through uh, clinicaltrials.gov, but we want to help provide the resources to allow patients to be able to search because there's, you know, there's so many patients um, who would like to be able to participate in a clinical trial, but it's only about five to eight percent who can actually get on a clinical trial. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge disconnect there. And then when and for me as well is um, representation. Not all clinical trials have enough broad representation through all ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. And 70 percent of clinical trials are done on white Caucasian males. Mm -hmm. So we need to expand that and broaden that. So there's a lot more inclusive Mm -hmm. in the trials. And then another big thing for me is providing resources for patients. You know, so your patient advocacy, your clinical trial support, um, get, providing tech solutions. Mm -hmm. um, if you can get an app on your phone, it gives you all those questions. It's so much easier because, I mean, most people are technically savvy nowadays. Mm -hmm. And even being able to provide 15-minute consultations, mm -hmm. helping provide, getting people to the right place, and, um, you know, even down to basic things like reducing obstacles to care. Mm -hmm. So transportation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Medical, uh, medica, medication assistance. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these drug companies out there have got wonderful programs that will help pay for medication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People don't know about it. And so is there one place they can go, Allison, or do they need to go to their nurse advocate? Or So if there's a nurse advocate at their health care facility that they go to, mm -hmm. ask for help. Okay. Very and good. that can help with a lot of the financial, social work. There'll be social workers there, too. Good. And, you know, it's, it's, it's connecting with other people, too. And I'm going to go back to the cancer support community. You can connect with other people who are actually on a similar journey. And what is that website? It's cscaz.org. Perfect. All right. Well, Allison Beavers, thank you for all of that information and for talking with us. And thank you for being my daughter-in-law because I just love you dearly. And I know I'm your chosen mother-in-law, but I couldn't have done this without you. And thank you all for joining us on Spirituality for Everyday Living. Mm -hmm. 